Welcome to an enlightening podcast from IslamPodcasts.com. We encourage our listeners to please comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please remind your family and friends to also visit IslamPodcasts.com for engaging discussions on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, Sira, and much more. وعد الله الذين آمنوا منكم وعملوا الصالحات ليستخلفنهم في الأرض كما استخلف الذين من قبلهم وليمكنن لهم دينهم الذي ارتضى لهم وليبدلنهم من بعد خوفهم أمنا يعبدونني لا يشركون بي شيئا ومن كفر بعد ذلك فأولئك هم الفاسقون بسم الله بسم الله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته to all of our viewers around the world I'm your host Shazad Rahman and this is Awakia TV Syria, Burma, India, Sri Lanka, Xinjiang, wherever we look around the Muslim world, we see a situation of devastation. The Muslim world is in turmoil. It's burning, it's suffering. And even closer to home in Europe, we've seen that the rise of populist leaders have really attacked. They've attacked Islam and they've attacked Muslims. And even beyond, the, the entire world is in crisis. You have climate change. We have economic uncertainty and food poverty and food shortages. We have the virus and we have racism. The world is in crisis and the world is crying out for solutions. As the situation gets worse and worse, the appetite for change is growing. And this is where we as Muslims come in because Allah the All-Knowing is the perfect lawgiver. And he's given us the solutions that the world is crying out for. We know that Islam creates a solution, a system rather, where the weak and the oppressed are not forgotten, where no one is forgotten, and the weak and the oppressed are protected. In this show, we ask, what is our responsibility to the devastation in the Muslim world? What is the link between our belief, our iman, and actions? To discuss this with me, I have my very esteemed guest, Yahya Nesbi. It's Yahya, the media rep of Hezbo Tahrir Britain. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Yahya. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Yahya, just to get us kicked off, I want to ask, in trying times like this, where we're, we want our condition to change as Muslims, and, you know, we believe in the promised victory of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, are you, am I, are we personally responsible for the change? Are we ourselves responsible? I mean, what is the connection between our belief, our iman, and action? Jazakallah mm. Yeah, you know, there's so many ways to answer that question and to look into it, but there's something specifically that I was thinking about recently when, when reading a few hadith. Um, and they, they really, for me, they really establish the, the responsibility they link it closely with our iman and they, they make us personally responsible for 
for bringing about changes in, uh, in, in our situation, whatever that is. So if you'll allow me, I'll, I'll mention these two hadith, inshallah, and a brief, um, I'll link them to the topic, and then inshallah we can continue talking about it. A'udhu billahi min shaitan rajim bismillahir rahman rahim So uh, the, it is reported by Abu Huraira that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, Al-Iman bid'un wa sab'un aw bid'un wa sittuna wa sittuna shu'ba fa'afdaluhu qawlu la ilaha illallah wa adnaha imatatul adha anit tariq so this hadith, it says uh, in English, it says the Iman has over 70 or over 60 branches. The most excellent of which is the declaration that there is no God but Allah. And the least of it is the removal of something harmful from the street. And modesty is a branch of Iman. So that's one hadith. And I'll talk about the, the explanation of, 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 of how I'm linking it in a moment, inshallah. There's another hadith also on a similar discussion. Uh, where again reported by Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was reported to have said Man nafasa an mu'min kurbatan min kurabid dunya nafasallahu anhu kurbatan, kurbatan min kurabi yawmi qiyama wa man satara musliman satarahu allahu fi dunya wal akhira wa man yassara ala mu'sirin yassara allahu alayhi fi dunya wal akhira wallahu fi awni al-abdi ma kana al-abdu fi awni akhi so this hadith in English, the explanation is that the Messenger of Allah is reported to have said, whoever relieves the Muslim or a Muslim of some worldly distress, Allah will relieve him of some of the distress on the Day of Judgment. And whoever conceals the faults of a Muslim, Allah will conceal for him his faults in this world and on the Day of Judgment. And whoever relieves the burden from a destitute person, Allah will relieve him in this world and the next. And Allah is, and Allah will help his slave so long as his slave helps his brother. So these two are hadith. They establish for us um, a connection between achieving change and the, you know, our, our belief as a Muslim, you know, and, uh, and the, the fact that we uh, have a responsibility for that change. So if you imagine the hadith which is talking about Iman, and it's over 70 parts, and the best of it is La ilaha illallah, and the least of it is removing something harmful from the street. So removing something harmful from the street is, is the very least we can do if we're a Muslim, if we're a believer. That's the least expression of our Iman. And, you know, we always find harmful things on the street. You walk down any street anywhere and you'll see bottles, you'll see, you know, pieces of metal, you'll see, you know, banana skin, something as, you know, as, as, as harmless as, well, it's not harmless, it's harmful, but as simple as that could be on the street. And you know that a child could slip on that, an old person could slip on that. They could fall, they could hurt themselves. We get a lot of glass bottles on the streets here in London. And so we find that it's it's a regular occurrence for Muslims. We see a glass bottle, we pick it up, we put it in the bin. We see banana, we pick it up, we put it in the bin. It's very common. And it's the least we could do as a Muslim. But you think about this hadith, what is it saying? The, the least iman of your iman is imatat al-adha ani tariq. So the least of it is removing something harmful from the street. And if you can't even do that, then what kind of Muslim are you? So if you just literally saw that and walked past it and said, ah, oh, subhanAllah, it's really bad. I really hate that. I really wish people wouldn't throw things like the harmful things in the street, this rubbish. Then you haven't removed it. You've not changed anything, but you've denied it. You've hated it in your heart, but, you've dis but you haven't changed it. And that's not what the hadith is saying. So if you picked it up, the bottle, and just threw it to another path, and all you've done is make the, make the harm in somebody else's path, but it's not in your path anymore. Or maybe the banana skin, you picked it up, you didn't want to be seen as the one carrying banana skins down the road, 
because maybe it's a long way to the nearest bin. So you, you just drop it somewhere else. But all you've done is make that harm come upon somebody else. So it's somebody else's problem. And that's not what this hadith is telling us to do. It's, it's making us responsible for actual change. There's another, this other hadith I mentioned. It says that the one who relieves some of the stress from the Muslims, then Allah will relieve some of his distress not on the day of judgment. And the distress in this life is far less than the distress on the Qiyamah. The distress on the Qiyamah is you know, so immense, and that's a long discussion in itself. And we could look at the books, the explanations of these hadith, and you can find a lot of discussion about the harm and the, the suffering that will be for us on the Qiyamah. And Allah will take some of that away if we just take some of the suffering from the Muslims. The Muslims are suffering, no doubt. You mentioned a long list of suffering, and the list is much, much longer than you could possibly mention you know, in an introduction to a show like this. But if we are to relieve some of the suffering, even from a local, you know, a neighbor, a, a Muslim we know locally, or a Muslim across the world, or if you were to relieve all of the suffering from all of the Muslims, all of the humiliation, or from a whole group of Muslims, then imagine the amount of suffering and the amount of hardship that will be removed from you on the Day of Judgment. So there's a motivation in here. But the important point in both of these ahadith, the important point is actually removing, is changing something, is doing something about it. It's not enough just to want to do something about it. It's not enough to have the good intention and the ambition of doing something about it. You have to do something and actually create that change. Because if you don't, then you haven't done what these hadith are telling us to do. And that's, in essence, the, the, the most important thing. Is it, These hadith and many more like them, but these two particular hadith today I want to talk about, is they build in us a mentality of responsibility that I am responsible for change. And it's not somebody else who's responsible, it's me. Whether that change is a small change in front of me or a change across the world, but however that change uh, occurs, I am responsible for it. And so I'll do everything within my capability. But there's a second thing, and that's why I mentioned the, 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 the important point about it's not enough just to throw the, the harmful thing into somebody else's path, is that you have to have your eye on the outcome. You have to have your eye on the goal. The goal is the change. So you have to understand what does it mean to have a change, which actually will relieve the suffering of the people. Because if you say, I'm going to relieve the suffering of the people and you make them suffer even more, then you haven't you haven't done what this hadith has told you. Imagine I said, I'm really concerned about the Palestinians and the way they're treated by the Zionist occupied. And I said, I will send them, you know, I will support Mahmoud Abbas and I will, you know, I will really hope that they get their, um, their two states and they have their Palestinian state and, you know, and, and may Allah reward me for the, relieving their suffering. You may have the good intention, but what you've done is actually increase their suffering because you've just helped the plan against them and you've solidified and consolidated the harm which is being done against them. And you've not relieved their, their suffering in any way, okay. even though you thought well, let, you were going to relieve this. Yeah, yeah, let's yeah. touch on that topic a little bit. Let's get, let's get a bit deeper into that because what you've just mentioned now, that current affair, that specific example, that's actually happened this this last this last couple of weeks, we've seen some Muslim countries. They they now recognise Israel uh, officially, formally. Uh, they're giving visas out to Israeli citizens to come to come and see there, or to come to come into their country. At the same time, they're banning citizens of other Muslim countries from coming in. Um, has that, how does that link to trusting on Allah and and doing action with you know with you know with genuine objectives, trying to genuinely yeah, firstly, relieve the harm? 
firstly, I hesitate to use the word, you know, the name of the country which is occupying the Palestinians' land, even because that's, even using that word is a political expression implying that I have some recognition for them. And we don't recognize them in any way. So I'll always use the word Zionist occupier or the, you know, the, the occupiers of Palestine to avoid anybody mis misinterpreting what I'm saying. But that's, that's how important this topic is. If you think about the, um, what these states like Morocco is the latest one this week, you know, um, they didn't even announce it themselves. You know, Trump announces to the world that Morocco will now formally recognize and set up diplomatic relationships with the Zionist occupiers of Palestine. And what they're getting in exchange for that, they're going to get some recognition of a disputed land, Western Sahara, which they have a dispute next to next to Morocco. So that is the that's that that is the deal that is being done, and they're very proud of. But this comes hot on the heels of Sudan also, you know, making a similar deal to be taken off the the terrorist list that America has produced. UAE have done the same thing, and they claimed it was in order to stop the settlement activity increasing, you know. And Bahrain was also part of that same thing. So we get these excuses given, saying we're going to you know recognize formally recognize this, um, normalize our relationships with the occupiers because there's a benefit or because we're going to bring about something. Now, Morocco, they said, the king said, he's the, um, you know, we're not going to harm the Palestinians in any way with this. We're going to still support a just solution for the Palestinian. You know, we're going to support the two-state solution. Very explicit, what he's saying. And actually, UAE, you know, Sudan, they all came out with the same statement. So clearly, America's plan is all about the two-state solution. There's no doubt in that. But the real question is, does two states really bring about peace for the Palestinians? It's called a peace process. Is there really peace to be brought about in this situation? So this hadith which tells us remove the harmful thing. Well, the harmful thing is the occupation for the Palestinians. And what have we removed if we just left it there? If we find that what is the cause of suffering and, and hardship for the Muslims in Palestine? Well, it's the Zionist occupation. So if we haven't removed that, if we haven't even lessened that, 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 that suffering, which is being done to them every day, then, then what can we say? We haven't removed one of the kurba, the, 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 the difficulties from this dunya. So how can we expect it to be removed from us on the Yawm Qiyamah? So what, I'm, what my point is, is that there's one thing to say it's called peace, but that's a slogan. There's one thing to say we're going to end the, end the increased settlement act building activity. But is that a reality? Will that actually happen? There's another thing to say we're not going to harm the Palestinians or, you know, we're going to... Look at Sudan. Sudan said made it very clear this isn't about the occupation this isn't even about palestine this is about us ascending in the world you know again as non-terrorists so if, if if americans stop calling us terrorists we may start to achieve some success our economy will grow we'll start being invited back into the world community but then the question is, is 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 that the way to ascend to success you know you say you want to be a successful nation you say you want to be a people who who, who are um, given dignity and honor in the world is befriending America and removing and just having them take your name off a terrorist, will that achieve what you want? Because you may tell yourself this, but it's not true. There's a better way and there's much better ways to, uh, to become a respected nation in the world rather than pretending that, um, that America, you know, that America's accusation and labels of terrorism is, is meaningful in any way. And, 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 you know, there's many other points that could be raised on this. Can it's, I mean, I mean, the thing is here, can we can we be partly guilty of that ourselves? Are there times when maybe we talk up change and we talk up how this Omani's victory and maybe we don't really follow through with actions and 
do what is required to achieve that change genuinely. Yeah, so this is, this is the difference between having a determined attitude to actually achieve the change or doing some token actions, which really you, you can tell everybody else that this is, it is heading towards change, but actually you have to really deeply question to say, is that really what I'm aiming at or not? So that is a question for all of us. That isn't really, I'm not here only to criticize the rulers or they deserve a lot of criticism, but actually all of the Muslims, these ahadith make it very personal for every one of us. So all of us have to reflect upon the meaning of these, these ahadith and say, am I doing what is required for change? Not am I just like joining some generalist movement and I'm just basically going with the flow and I saw some other people do some good actions and they said it was all about change and I didn't understand it, but I just went along with it anyway. You see, that, that isn't really taking the, 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 the matter seriously enough. You know, if we were to look at the coronavirus pandemic, okay, so all of the world decided to lock down. The Western states led the world in lockdowns and that meant closing the economy. It didn't mean closing the economy completely. Certain aspects were kept open. I, big businesses, capitalists managed to still make huge profits. But for ordinary citizens, we were to take the blame. And, and you know, and, and apparently we were responsible for all of the spread of the virus. Well, what did the rest of the world? What did the, you know, once one of the major states started doing this, everybody started copying. So Muslim countries started doing exactly the same thing. Now, in Britain, we were told the 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 the. The issue is about saving lives. We're often told this, save lives, you know, stay in your house, save mm. lives. Don't go to work, save lives. Obey the lockdown rules, save lives. Actually, it was revealed very early on in Britain that the real issue was not about saving lives. The real issue has always been about saving the NHS. Don't embarrass the NHS. Don't show the NHS to be so weak and feeble that it can't deal with the amount of patients that are likely to come our way. You know, this, so the real issue was about protecting the NHS, not about protecting the lives. So one thing is said to be the outcome, you will save lives, but the actual real, you know, underlying issue was don't show that the, you know, show the government up for being so useless at running a, a national health service and have, you know, not invested in it for, for, for decades even, you know. So the, the, the reality of what is said to be the aim and what the actual aim is are two very, very different things. Now, what can you say about all those countries that just followed suit and had a, a, a tip for tap, a, a mimicking, you know, lockdown. What was the aim? What was the goal? What are you actually trying to achieve? And and you find just by well, that they are, they, you know, they they engineer it in such a way that they're not actually questioned on it. There is no serious questioning. But when the serious question yeah. does start, you start to realise that the course of action doesn't lead to what the goal is said to be. And so, therefore, saving lives and closing the masjid are not actually two related factors. They seem to be benefits that some secularists are, are enjoying, but they're not actually related to, you know, the, the goal of saving lives, if that is the real goal. So we find that, you know, often the, 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 what is said to be the, the goal and what is actually achievable from those actions are two very different things. So we, we could be the same. We could support charity work in Palestine. That doesn't mean palest charity for Palestinians is useless. It's not. But if we fool ourselves into thinking that this is somehow meaningful in the grand scheme of change, then we're actually deluding ourselves and we're we're diverting real work where it should be, you know, work for change. We're, we're, we're avoiding doing the real work. Often the, the subject of boycott comes up. Boycott France for its insults of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Boycott, you know, Zionist products because of the, the way they have stolen from the Palestinians. And I'd say, I'm not saying go out and buy the Zionist products at all. I'm not saying that the boycotts are in and of themselves harmful, but they make a person feel that they've done something so meaningful that they don't have to do anything else. And secondly, they kind of underline the fact that 
the real course of change has to be come from the politicians and the leaders taking the occupation seriously. Now, occupation is dealt with by removing the occupiers, not by just making them feel that, you know, it's it's really, you know, that they're going to they're not going to make so much profit this year. That's not the way to deal with occupation. Nobody has ever said the way to deal with an occupying force, a military force coming towards you is to not buy products from the invaders. That isn't that doesn't that doesn't square up in anybody's logic. But somehow we've fooled ourselves into thinking or even accepting that that is an acceptable response. And and, mm. and, and that's, the, that's the important point then. Is it an acceptable response? Will it, can you trace through the steps of not buying Palestinian dates, not buying dates that have Jordan Valley on them because they're known to be taken from the plantations which are from the, the occupiers. Can you trace that, how that is going to lead to the actual end of occupation? If you can't, then don't don't fool yourself into thinking that you're doing something meaningful in that regard. You're merely making a symbolic mm. statement saying, I, dis I dislike it. The same way as I won't use the word of the name of the country, which they claim is it begins with I, but I won't use that word. You know, I'm going to call them Zionist occupiers because I want everybody to know what they are. But I'm not going to fool myself is that me just abstaining from using the I word is going to make a really big change. It's not in, in and of itself going to make a change. There has to be more concerted action to make a change. But it's, you know, it's, it is symbolic. But I must not pretend that that is more than what it really is. It has to be part of many other actions, which I can say and I can show you. I can say step one, step two, step three. This is how change happens. Mm. OK, I'm seeing where you're coming from. So Muslims are embarking on a lot of actions, a lot of uh, good actions, actually, with Hassanat in it, but not necessarily doing anything to impact change. And uh, and and my, my, really, my question is on just off that. In times of fitna like these are, I mean, it can be quite tempting, can't it, that we isolate ourselves, we seclude ourselves in our homes, we focus on our individual personal ibadat, our families, and that we really just don't go out into society. We just kind of withdraw ourselves in times like this. I mean, can't we, I mean, isn't that also an Islamic thing? Isn't that something that Islam also tells us to do? You see, there's a time for this and a time for that. So the one who avoids isolation and avoids personal ibadah and zuhud you know you know be, you know being alone with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the one who avoids that absolutely has made a massive mistake the one who who does it who's neglectful of his prayers and his fasting and doesn't involve in extra ibadah and doesn't take time to learn the deen has made a mistake but the one who devotes himself entirely to that alone and avoids all the other aspects of his deen has also made a great mistake except for the second mistake has great harm on other people so you're not only responsible for your own neglect, you know, you've, you've missed out some hasana, you've missed out on some sunnah, you've missed out on some, you know, some wajib. But you also bear the responsibility of being capable to create change and yet you ignored it. So you're like the one who says, yeah. you see the banana skin on the street and you say, I'm rushing to the mosque, I don't have time to pick up that banana. And so off you go to the prayer and just behind you, your, your uncle G is coming along and he slips on it and breaks his, ne breaks his neck or breaks his leg or breaks his arm or something. You know, when elderly people fall, then it, often it's, it's, it's the end. It's the beginning of the end. And, you know, it can lead directly to the end of their life. So you bear a big responsibility by leaving something harmful on the street. But you could be the other person who says, I will devote myself entirely to lifting bananas from streets. I mean, it's ludicrous. But somebody would say that, you know, my whole goal, my whole purpose in life 
is to, to remove the harmful thing from the streets. Honestly, if the Muslims just went around Britain doing that, we could keep ourselves all busy all day, every day, removing the, the junk that we find on the streets. And we could be known as the, the best litter pickers in the, in, in, in the, in the country. <laughs> But we would be neglecting all the other change and all the other ibadah and all the other aspects of the deen. So the question is not to pick one aspect and say, this is my favorite thing. It's so easy. I love doing it. That's not the purpose. The pur and there's not, the purpose is also not to choose the hardest thing and say, this is the one that I feel is, is the hardest. Because that's, that's an ascetic, a secular mentality. We don't have this big separation in the deen. Our goal is to, is to complete, it's to worship Islam with, worship Allah in complete, with completeness in, in in totality you know to enter islam you know completely into islam not just a piece of islam not to pick and choose the bit, bits and pieces we like you know the past ummas were criticized for that and we don't want to be criticized on the qiyamah in that way so we must take the responsibility seriously there is suffering all across the world we are not only responsible for ending the suffering of the muslims in our street we are also responsible for ending the suffering of the muslims all over the world particularly if there is a clear way for us to help and there are ways we can help. Now, it may not be obvious. It's not a way that I can directly lift the, the suffering of uh, this is happening in Sudan because the suffering in Sudan is happening directly because of the rulers they have. Now, I can't personally change the ruler in Sudan overnight. I can't do it even in a, short, a long time. Me alone in London can't do that. But I can support the work for that. I can be part of that work. I can't do that work. But I can certainly be part of it. I can contact Sudanese people, encourage them to be part of it. I can spread a message to them. I can help them, assist them in ways. You know, one of the simple ways is the Sudanese people have been told that the, there's a there's a there's a there's a wonderful dream. It's called the Western way of life. It's secularism. We need that. That's the that's the solution to all our problems. And I can say from London with absolute clarity and confidence that this secular way of life is failing. It isn't solving the people's problems. It's a disaster of a way of life. It'll create you nothing but misery. So why in Sudan would you want that? For example. So rather than saying that I, you know, the, 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 the way for change and the way for to ascend to greatness in the world is to, to, for a Trump to no longer call you a terrorist, I would say that's, that's meaningless. That's actually irrelevant, got nothing to do with it. You have a clear path that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you to, to ascend to greatness, to carry the Tao to the world, to show the whole world, you know, to, to, to look to Sudan for the example of, of um, how to live an, an honorable life, a, 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 an economically viable life. A life which is not fraught with suffering and hardship. A life which is, you know, which is filled with happiness. You could do that if you adopt the Islamic project to establish Islam as a way of life. If we establish the Khilafah, we can show the whole world will look to Sudan and say that is an example of greatness. That's where all the innovation is happening. That's where they have all the solutions. That's where all the thinking is happening. And they'll come running and they'll look to it as a great guiding light. But instead we have rulers in Sudan. I'm not, I'm not picking only on Sudan. I'm just using them as an example. But we have rulers in Sudan today who don't trust Islam. They don't want Islam to solve our problems. They want secular model and only a secular model. They are stooges of the West. They've been put there by the Americans in order to serve the American interest. And that is, that's, that's clear to anybody who looks at what they're actually doing. So they claim one thing they want to manage the, the economy or manage the, the, the image of, of, of Sudan in the world or manage you know, any aspect of, of life. But they fail at all of it because their goals aren't compatible with what they claim they're trying to do. The course of action they undertake is an action which serves a Western interest and has no relationship with actually solving the, the economic problems. You know, we could say the same thing about Pakistan. We could say about Bangladesh. We could say about India. We could say about Malaysia. We could say about any country 
any of the Arab countries, any of the non-Arab countries, you can say it because there's no relationship between what they actually do in terms of policies and what they claim they're trying to achieve from those policies. They're always, you know, it's always a facade. It's empty words which mean nothing. Yeah, yeah. How, how, I mean, the thing is that these are rulers and systems that we're talking about here. So this is no small project. We're, we're dealing with a, with a big thing, right? How can us, as just ordinary small men, I mean, how can we really take on this kind of project? Can we, can we practically really, truly change our situation? How much can we really achieve? Yeah, so Allah gave us brains to think with. You know, our mind is our biggest asset. It is through our mind that we come to learn of Islam, or we come to recognize the truth of Islam, and we accept it. And every single person on the planet has exactly the same minds as us. They've got the same brains. They may have been brought up in different households with different cultures. They may have different influences. But what convinces me convinces them. And they need to hear the truth of this message. So we are capable to create change because we are capable of changing people's thoughts and ideas. People are in this situation today. They accept the status quo. They accept the oppression upon them because they've adopted a set of ideas. And they don't necessarily recognize or see the corruption in those ideas, how fallacious they are, how wrong they are. But we can show them that, that it's wrong. So that is something practically we can do which will create real change. It creates changes in people and it creates changes in groups of people. So if you scale this up, not as us working as individuals just trying to change, randomly change ideas here and there, but work together as a party, as a group of people, pointing out that there are some core ideas which the society is founded upon, which cause all of the corruption, which are the, you know, the, the, the basis which the capitalists rely upon in order to spread their corruption and in order to keep the people compliant, then that will start to shake the confidence people have in the system. And that will start to change people's ideas practically. Now, then the next question is, is where do you go once you've started to create a, a feeling of change, a desire for change? Then people need to see a model of what they want to go forwards, want to go towards. I would, you know, you, you're probably right here in Britain, in America, in Australia, in the West, in Europe, it's unlikely they're going to turn to Islam immediately on day one and say the obvious solution is to look to Islam because they don't have Iman. It's difficult for them to recognize, you know, and get over the emotional baggage um, that they carry of, of what has been built to them from a very young age that the Muslims are backward. But Muslims in Muslim countries, on the other hand, they have Iman from the, as a foundation. They have a rich history of Islam solving the world's problems, solving their own problems. And they can only look to that and they have so they've already got a head start. So it's easier and it's more practical to say, here is a starting point. The whole world will eventually hear this down, but this starting point is with the Muslims. So it's no, it's, no, it's no imaginary dream that the Muslims could change their system and accept an Islamic system. They accept all the corrupt systems you could imagine. They bring in the most corrupt people, even if he comes in with a, a fleeting hope, even a, an iota of Islam, just, you know, just to sh show the people that he wants change for, their, for Islam's sake. The people will vote him in. That is the reality of Imran Khan. That's how he got into power. That is how many of the rulers, that's why Erdogan in Turkey is so popular, because he displays Islam, rhetoric, slogans, mm. doesn't bring about any real change. And people will accept him even on that basis. So imagine a group of people, a party, you know, who's actually offering real solutions and, and, and real change. So if they're earnest and they're yeah. working for this within the society, you'll see the change. And we, me and you have a lot to do to support that. You know, so there is a, a practical, you know, um, the, the shortest possible route is establishing Islam as a way of life, i.e. re-establishing the Khilafah. You can't beat around it. You can't say we're going to make all the Muslims ulama. We're going to give them all fiqh books to memorize. We're going to make them all hafaz of the Quran. 
this is the way to change. We could set up all the schools and institutes and all of the online teaching courses and all of the, we could do all of the, all the madrasas in the world won't change the political reality until you address the political reality. So you could fool yourself yeah, into right. saying, I'm doing some prayers some good. I'm giving a khutbah every week. I'm encouraging the Muslims to get closer to Allah. I'm doing, uh, I'm, 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 I've taught this many people in a um, Quran. I've gone to the streets and I've taken this many shahadas from non-Muslims who converted to Islam. You can fool yourself day and night to think that you're actually creating practical change. But you're actually yeah. avoiding the work that will create real change. You know, and that is the yeah. political work. And until you engage earnestly in the political work, you're not going to see real change. Just as a reminder to our viewers who are watching, this is a live show. So if you have any questions or any comments you want to put into us, do put them in. Uh, actually, put them in quite quickly because we've only got 10 minutes left. So let's hear your thoughts and questions if you have any, and I'll put them to Yahya as well. Um, Yahya, um, you know, as I've been getting old, I'm reaching my uh, mid-30s now. I've got kids, I've got a wife and so on and so forth. Um, you kind of get caught up in your own world and... Um, you get busy with life and there's a temptation there just to focus on your family, my wife, my kids, and as long as we're doing okay, as long as we're progressing, as long as my, I'm fulfilling my obligations towards them, it's all good. Um, I mean, worst case scenario, you actually want to become a winner in the game of capitalism, get involved in the rat race, wealth, prestige, so on and so forth. But for many of us who are practicing in the deen, it's really just about making sure my own family is Islamic, uh, making sure they're not misguided, making sure they hold on to the deen as much as they can, especially in this current climate. I mean, what message would you have to those people who really are not ready to engage in dawah and making a change, are just quite comfortable actually, just you know, looking after their families, making sure we're Islamic? You see, there's a word you mentioned in there, practicing a deen. And when I was um, living in Egypt, we used to call him multazim or mutadayin, you know, meaning somebody who's deeny or somebody who's into his deen or somebody who takes the deen seriously. The problem with this word is it, it deludes you into thinking that I've reached a certain level. There was, was non-practicing and now there's practicing. There's this un-Islamic and there's Islamic. And that's not really the case for a Muslim. A Muslim has a whole series of ahkam that he has to follow. He has a whole series of beliefs that he's supposed to believe in. There's a whole series of actions you can do to get close to Allah. And a person who says, look, I do this much and no more, or I've, I've reached this level, I'm now on the level of, you know, I'm inshallah in the successful group. They've, they've, they've automatically limited themselves. They've said that I've, you know, I've done enough. And that's the wrong attitude to have altogether. The Muslim, the, the true believer should never feel that he's ever done enough. He should always feel that there's more to be done. That doesn't mean that he's like, uh, you know, he's, um, I mean, what I mean is he, we have an English expression, he should not he not rest on his laurels. He should not, fit, you know, sit back and admire the great works he's done. Mashallah, I pray my hajjud, I did great work today. You know, I taught, I sat with the kids and, and I recited some Quran with them. You know, I, I, I fed the family. You know, I did, you know, I went to all of my five prayers in the masjid. You know, mashallah, alhamdulillah, it was a good day. Because he knows, if he was really to search his soul, he would know that that isn't enough. That's the bare minimum. You've just done the bare minimum. There's still more to be done. And there always will be more to be done. And the Muslim really should feel the burden of responsibility for the whole world. It's not enough just to look after your family. But again, that doesn't mean neglect the family. We're nowhere in the Quran where you've, or the Hadith where you find encouragement to neglect the family. So you have to find that balance. And each person will be responsible for doing what they can do within their capability. 
and when they and they will know at the end of the day if there was was there more they could have done or is there did they really tr reach their limit and it literally there's nothing else they could have done in their time with their capability and that's what we're going to be held accountable for is according to my capability what was i able to do so if you do have a sick child and you're looking after them who's requires a lot of attention as many and you have sick parents elderly parents who require a lot of attention nobody's going to say you should be out there you know um you know distributing leaflets or visiting you know people in and, and leave your mother star starving at home or, not, or or unable to you know go from one room to the next because she needs your help that's that's unacceptable to be, to have that attitude that i'm such a dower carer that i would neglect my parents but at the same time there's there's other ways of managing that there's ways that you can find you know brothers and sisters or you know family friends or neighbors or you could hire somebody to help out some of the time and other part of the time you're doing you know you're doing some of the work there's always a practical solution that allows you to give some of your time to the dower and some of the time to your parents and your children and you have to find that balance but we can't you we can't hide behind excuses pretending that um that you know my my action that i prefer to do today is the meaningful action it's the one that's really really the most important we should be absolutely clear there are some actions which take us closer towards our goal i should know what that goal is and i should know how that action links to the goal and takes me closer but i should be brutally honest with myself there are some actions which aren't really going to take me closer to that goal but i still have to do them because they have other benefits or they have other aspects that I'm trying to fulfill them, i.e. they're achieving a different goal. And we should be clear about all of that. And we shouldn't be pretending that, you know, one is trying to cover up for all of the failings in the other. It's a very common mentality to have is to focus on one or two actions and, you know, hope that they're going to make up for all the neglect of the others. It's, it's, it's like saying, look, I'm, I'm going to fast Ramadan. I'm not going to pray um, you know, my five prayers, and maybe Allah will forgive me for my, for, because of my month of fasting. That's very common. What do we call those people? We don't call them practicing Muslims. We call them, you know, Ramadan Muslims, or we call them, you know, we, we got, you know, there's all kinds of Muslims you, names you could come up with. Yeah. But nobody calls yeah. them Mutadayin. Nobody calls them Multazim. We call them Ghair Multazim. We call them the one who's not practicing. And, 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 and so, but the question is, do we have the same mentality in reality? As that we focus on one or two and we neglect the rest. What's the difference? Why is this one different to that one? Yeah, that's right. Um, yes, I'm coming up to the end of the show, and I've got one last question for you, and I'll give you a chance at the end to conclude as well if, you, if, you, if you're up for it. Uh, so my last question really is, um, you know, victory is from Allah. It's promised. Uh, it's definitely going to happen. So if that's the case, why, how do you reconcile that with working for change when the victory is going to come from Allah anyway. Yeah, you know, everything comes from Allah. You know, that, that Allah is the is the one who provides all the results. If we had that mentality, we'd never do anything. I would never lift a spoon to my mouth. I would just expect my stomach to get filled without ever eating. You know, I would never do anything in my life ever because I would say, look, you know, what what's the point? Allah has written it all. That fatalistic mentality has got nothing to do with Islam. And it was rejected outright by the Sahaba early, very, very early on, because some of these philosophies, these foreign ideas, they come in, they influence us in some way. And we should never have that attitude, like I'm a leaf in the wind just floating around. They're called in the Qadariya. We're not like that. That is un-Islamic to think in, in that way that somehow the, um, the, the, the change is, is inevitable, therefore I shouldn't ever try to work towards the change. So that's wrong, full stop. Secondly, look at the responsibility you have. This hadith I mentioned clearly shows that to be wrong. If I was not responsible for any change whatsoever, 
why would the hadith link it so clearly to the least of my iman is to remove something harmful than the street? It would have said the least of your man is to look at something harmful than the street and say, Astaghfirullah, I really wish that didn't happen. And just to hate it in your heart and nothing else. Whereas the hadith don't say that. The hadith that talks about change says you first try to change it with your hand. And only if you're incapable, then you change it with your tongue. And only if you're incapable, then you hate it in your heart. So the priority order and the order which is, is legislated for us is to actually create the change with our hands. And if we can't, then with our tongues. But all of that is actions which we're doing in order to create change. So clearly Islam put a responsibility on us using our capabilities, our understanding, what we call the akht bil asbab, you know, taking the means, you know, undertaking the actions which under all circumstances using our mind, we can say will lead towards this change. The result, of course, in Allah's hands, whether it's successful or not, is in Allah's hands. I know what convinces the mind. I've studied my Aqeedah, I've, I've changed my own Aqeedah from being a non-Muslim to a Muslim. I have some idea of what it takes in order to overcome the, the intellectual obstacles so I can put those ideas in front of people. But I can't say whether that person will accept it or not. I'm not, I'm not responsible for that. I'm only responsible for delivering the message and giving him all the opportunities and leaving him with, leaving him with no more excuses other than to accept the deen. Now, whether he chooses that or doesn't choose that, whether he has a disease in his heart, whether he delays it, whether he has other pressures that cause him to reject it, all of that is not my responsibility. But I'll do my very best to present it clearly in a language he understands. You know, if I know he's a German person coming to visit London, I'm not going to speak to, you know, I'm, I'm not going to deliver the message in English unless I know he speaks English. I'll try to find a German translation if I can to, to help him understand. You know, I'll do everything in my capability according to my understanding, but at the same time, I'm empowered by the idea that Allah is the one who actually creates the change. All my hope is in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creating the change. So I don't put the, the change down to my actions. I say my actions are my responsibility because Allah made it me, me responsible for them. The actual change is Allah's responsibility because Allah designed the universe in that way. And so that is the meaning of tawakkul. That's why I have more hope than the one who relies only on his actions. If you relied only on your actions, you'd only aim to achieve very, very little. You'd say, I can only do so much. I won't change. I, won't, no, I don't plan to change very much. But when you rely upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as your helper and the one who's creating the change, then you say, I could change anything. Anything is, my, anything is possible. All I have to do is step along the course of actions which lead towards that change. But the change is actually in Allah's hands and not my hand. So you feel stronger. You feel more empowered. You feel like you can take on the entire world. You don't feel like you're a little person sitting in London. You feel like you are a responsibility. You have, you're a responsible person who has a responsibility. And Allah has given you the capability to take on the entire world. So you take them on. And you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not harmed by that, that feeling of depression and, and, and uh, inadequacy, which is, again, nothing to do with Islam. Yeah, we've come to the end of our show now. We... Um... Yeah, could you actually, in, in, in 30 seconds, just explain some of your, I think, the core message of today's show? Yeah, so it's just a few points is really that the mentality that these hadith and others like them should instill in us is that we should care very much about the conditions of others. We should be concerned for the qurba, for the distress of others about wanting to remove it. So that care should exist. We should care about the harmful things which could harm others, not only the things that could harm ourselves. We should also be very concerned about the outcome of the action. I, the, the care is not enough. The care must then be a, a concern to achieve a change which is a real change. We should then have a plan to create, get to that change and we should stick to that plan. 
we should adjust the plan if we find the plan faulty and not not suitable. We shouldn't do actions which are only token actions. You know, in name only they lead towards this change, but they should be the ones that actually step by step do lead towards that change. And uh, you know, and we should avoid actions which you know don't help, which hinder the change. You know, um, you know, whatever, wh however they might be. So I would say that is the core, you know, understanding we should take from a hadith like this. Yeah, okay. Jazakallah for joining us on this show, and uh, and for the inspiring message actually uh, of this show. And I hope that motivates many of our brothers, uh, whether you're active or not, to increase your activity or to get involved in the work. Inshallah. Uh, I've been your host, Shazad Rahman. To all of my viewers around the world, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you for watching. We'll see you again soon. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa and astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Podcasts on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, and Sirah are available at islampodcasts.com as well as on iTunes. Rate, review, and comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please subscribe, share, and tell a friend about islampodcasts.com.